Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for another evening, for the pleasant day in a somewhat cooler room. We'd ask that you would uh, bless our time in your word and in our lives as we uh, turn over the things that we uh, need to turn over to you. In your son's name, amen. amen. Um, I thought it was uh, funny or appropriate after last night's discussion and I announced that tonight would be on affection and Jeremy asked, who are the guest speakers? Who are the guest speakers? <laughs> Get it. Some fathers, <laughs> some fathers are just bad people. Okay. Um, so affection. Uh, it's. Uh, it almost seems some of these things seem self-evident to us. You know, of course we love our children. Somebody was uh, Bethany was holding the baby, and just oh the baby, oh the baby. And put Rachel around it, and a baby walks into a church, and all of a sudden, you know, the women descend on it. So we think that that affection is natural. It is. It is natural. But if, but we we want it like with discipline. We want to know what's what it is, what we're doing, what's up with it, so that when we are surprised by some element where we don't know what to do, just by nature, um, we have some sort of reasonable explanation of the thing itself so we can go back to principles and maybe develop something. Um, we are certainly not able um, after four kids and, and bad memories to pull together every piece of information that you will need and we didn't have every piece of information because we didn't raise every kid. And uh, so you're going to want principles. I, I want to remind you um, and here at the first part of the chapter on page 21, I, I go through it. There, there's the three lessons that we've covered. All of them uh, begin or have uh, their strength in love. Your Christian life, all ethics in your Christian life, is from you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and you shall love the Lord your God. And all law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And in the home, your, the purity of your religion, if it, your religion is not church, your religion is true, there is going to be a huge degree of just Christian charity going on. And we know that this is, uh, we've quoted this passage out of Titus, training the younger women to love their husbands and children, and the last phrase, that the word of God may not be discredited. Because loving, as one of the categories here, loving your husband and children is something that the faith has to deal with. The faith produces uh, an element of the love there. Secondly, on the second lesson, we are looking at adulthood, and we talked about how being raised up is the opportunity for loving condescension. That loving condescension is a more valuable um, uh, a more valuable thing than just being uppity, more valuable than arrogance. It's associating with the lowly and uh, not being conceited. The third, the third point was on discipline. We know that the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So before we go into affection, everything else we have learned has been love postured. And 
it's something that uh, it's something that uh, um, you don't want to make up with one portion of this. We'll talk about partiality or just applying part of these lessons and not applying the whole. But you don't want to think you can step into a kid's life merely because you really like children and you really like to be with them and people become nannies or they become because they really like children and they bring teachers because they really like children. Uh, the thing about rearing a child is these other categories of love really have to be there. Your affections must come from an adult who is in charge and has higher affections for God and spouse. Yeah, those, those are the categories. Uh, the height, the discipline, and the religion. Your higher affection for God. And otherwise, your affection will have all sorts of breaks and inabilities to reach certain places if you do not have a huge degree of love in these other areas behind it. Um, so, when we talk about affection, we're not just talking about the love. Uh, we're talking about the physical affection. And this is a, um, a natural thing. It is a pleasurable thing for the child and for you as its own reward. It's not... Um, it's not... It, although it functions as a tool, it'd be kind of a tool to use it as a tool. Does that make... I don't have that as a slide. <laughs> I should. It'd be kind of a tool to use this as a tool. They know when you enjoy them and when they are merely attended to. Because the affection is a positive pleasure. It's a gain. It's a, in its own right. I don't um, have to parse it out its value. It feels good to hug your kid. The kid feels good to be hugged. And uh, it's a it's a natural thing, we realize. We don't have to be go to any seminar, these ladies, to hug a baby. Um, it's, it's sort of like, you know, being married. You don't have to, you don't, for centuries they had no self-help books on how to run a marriage, and people managed to get into bed together. Somehow, <laughs> I don't know what it was. If people have somehow not sacrificed their kids to Molech all over the landscape, they did some places, but, uh, where there is where are, there are children, it's a natural, natural thing to have. Um, we don't um, we we don't want to leave it there and say, okay, I, uh, I'm going to be working on my Christianity, make sure it's real, not hypocritical, sincere, honest, true, etc. It's going to be filling my household without regard to church or tradition or all the other nonsense we covered. I'm going to discipline them in a holy and righteous way with justice and mercy. I'm going to be an adult. So our work here is done. Because if I have natural affections. But there are going to be some things that rise up, we're going to cover some of them, that um, help you perhaps understand a little bit more. Now, one of the things about affection, physical affection, is why? I mean, what a weird... Ever look think about kissing? I mean, not... Just think about it. Um, and you say, well, I just let the spirit lead. Um, <laughs> what a dumb thing. <laughs> I mean, 
just stop and meditate. Try not <laughs> take your spouse out of the picture and say, what awful, this gaping raw wound on your face with these teeth inside it and a pulsing paint projecting thing and then you mash them together and call it a good time. Why? Why do we do that again? Rachel missed that, so you might have to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on the recording. God help us all. Um, so, so physical affection. Picking up a baby. Swaddling it. Cuddling it. Hugging your children. Sitting on a couch with them reading a book. Why does that... What, what are we doing? What's the physical for? Let me have a, a, let me have a slide up here. The physical challenges the claims of a self alone. What the physical is doing, remember how you are a self because you feel inside your skin. You are you, and everything outside your skin is other. The skin is the closest thing that another can be up against. And the more membership there is of whatever kind, the more physical the expression that represents it will be. So that the great membership of you and your spouse involves doing the nasty and kissing and stuff, holding hands. You're getting deeper and deeper. Deep, holding <laughs> hands. I know I've said something here. Holding hands in private. <laughs> now, when you're with your children, your family has a degree of membership. When it says in the scriptures, greet the brothers or the brethren with a holy kiss. And you go, ah, they don't do that. But they have a membership. We have a degree of affection, a degree of physicality that represents how, how deep the, and intimate the bond. And you have something with your children that other people's children don't have with you. My father's told me about any number of situations where kids just starved for affection that he would visit the homes of these Christian people and they would just leap into his lap and want to cuddle with them all the time. He was available for... They, had felt, they couldn't get any membership with their own dad. They couldn't express anything like that. It says in Ephesians 5, No man hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So the nourishing, cherishing, expression of membership, the physicality is, a, is the thing you're doing. You are playing that tune. It has a mystical, probably, quality, like it does in sex and marriage, that represents some higher things but just knowing that on the surface it helps you understand or do or not do things now I don't mean to step on anyone's toes but there's there's rampant hugging going on between women in this community they leave each other's company for five minutes they come back together they have to hug now there's nothing wrong with it but you just want to be saying okay all right I want to be sure there's a category of affection that exists between having sex with my spouse 
and the affection to the church and the saints that I have left for my kids that's meaningful to them that isn't handed out to every other kid. Don't inflate the currency or debase the currency, whatever it is you're doing. Where you, you're spr- you, it, it doesn't com- communicate, it might feel good, but it does not make um, a definition of membership um, uh, close to you. Um, if if perchance you don't have the natural desire for affection I'm not a huggy person my father actually I learned it from my father I, um, my father actually sent a letter out to all of our relatives explaining to them who he would hug and who he wouldn't hug <laughs> because they were all you know trying to get in under his guard he was trying to fend them off He'd hug his wife and he'd hug his daughter. Shake his son's hands. That would be that would be the degree of those were the people that he had membership with as family. They, because they had a huge, you know, family reunion mentality, they really wanted Wilsons to be hugging Wilsons and any associated names attached to Wilsons. It's not, again not wrong, but you need to understand what you're doing so that you have something a category for your children of closeness. And if you don't feel a natural affection to begin with, you want to be sure that you don't have some kind of psychological bitterness barrier or something that's getting in the way of you being a natural person with children. It's understandable you wouldn't want to hug anybody's kid. Doesn't You don't have to pick up every baby. But you want to be able to express the membership. If you don't feel membership, there's something wrong with you. So it needs to be fixed. Now, there is a um, the cause of affection besides they're related to you. Well, that's one cause. We call them neutral and positive causes. Um, neutral in that they just are. They have the same last name. You see them, you saw them pop out of your wife. And she assures you they're your kids. And that's just just because they have the relationship, there's an affection. You have them sit on your lap in church when you read to them at home. You wrestle with them in the in the library or the living room. That is because they're yours. They did not actually achieve anything. Father, I got straight A's. Well, let's hug. Okay, let's wrestle now because you finally pleased me. But that is a, a reason to hug, but the neutral has to be there first. Just because they, and they, they need to feel, uh, feel that membership <laughs> uh, in the neutral moments that they belong merely because they exist. And then they get especial affections in the pleasing moments. They achieve something in that gymnastics class I told you not to enroll them in. They do a backflip off the balance beam, and there you go. You hug them right after, just like their coach just did. Their creepy coach. Um, These things reaffirm their belonging to you. Now there is the negative negative affection. I mean, in, in a po- positive negative affection when they're awful, 
is, is, is generally because they're yours and because they need that medicine. My father addresses it in uh, the Bitterness booklet. You can read the short article called Saturation Love. It's one of the things, we'll talk about it tomorrow, when things go off the rails and you didn't do everything right and you've got a teenager that is just being uppity and problematic, um, the recommendation is just, just to overdo it. Even when they're bad, you hug them. Because they've got an empty well of affection that they didn't get and they really want it. So sometimes, even when they're bad, and you may want to discipline them or need to discipline them, but it's past the point that that can happen in any sort of policing way, hugging them to death. And uh, so it, it, they could be used as a medicine in that case, and actually my father has seen an awful lot of change in an awful lot of kids when fathers started to remedy a bad situation they allowed to cre be created by a lot of affection later on in their lives. Don't say, well, I can skate now, because I've always got that article later. Um, there's all sorts. I know you're up to something, and I know that I have to think of those things that you will do um, and uh, somehow account for them. Um, does that make sense? The physical challenges, the claims of a self alone, the physical affection that you give, the, the, the person has, has this developed identity, and you've burst through that and held on to them. And so they start defining them, their sense of family as an existent self that is broader. They're a member of a body more than just a member of themselves body. They are that, but they're, to be healthy, they will want to be, and all of us, healthy in the church together as a body and in families together as bodies. Those memberships, as marriages, that body together. Um, and it's the, the closeness of the physical affection that will, that will challenge any kind of uh, solipsistic desire. Um, let's see what the next one is here. Consider your inventory of yes. When they ask, not wine, what they ask. Now th this is not going to make any sense just sitting right up there. This is what you should be thinking about though. These three points. Your inventory of yes. When they ask and not whine, that's you know, Leslie's one of her ideas here, and what they ask. Um, it's under this passage out of Matthew 7 on page uh, 22, the top, about God saying, Seek and you shall find. If a son asks him for bread, who will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He illustrates something. He's not talking about child rearing. He's talking about normative, what's, what we, we should be aware of. Fathers don't give stones in lieu of bread or serpents in lieu of fish. They're considering something. First off, the first thing you want to consider, the title of this, on saying no when you could say yes. We talked a little bit about that in terms of um, discipline. Was it in the discipline talk? Yeah. Um, uh, but in, in this case, we're looking at um, the presence of your positive, pr the, the pro positive gift of yourself in their life. You can apply it to other things. You can apply it to the discipline. You can apply it. To, but a lot of times, parents um, don't give these good affections or pleasing things to their children at the degree they rule their children. They are much more conscious of getting themselves into the driver's seat, getting their 
commands taken care of? Did you clean your room? Did you make your bed? Have you done your homework? Everything is, are you doing what I told you to do? Take an inventory, just in terms of ratio. Is, is the aroma of the house, no. Or have you? Did you? Is there any, is there any degree of yes, less? You'd like this, wouldn't you? Just to, just to have the inventory, just so that you say, ah, uh, yeah, boy, if I were in this, in this job, um, and things, you, you know what it's like on, uh, at work when you have the, the office space sort of thing, when it's just salt mine type of work, and then they give you casual Friday or wacky time Monday, and that little bit of personal expression is allowed to make up for the TPS reports. But it's, uh, it's just something you need to know whether or not, just to assess yourself. Assess your handling of driving this ship of your family. And then he says, when your child, when your son asks him for bread, Leslie pointed out, got to make sure that the desire of the child for things has not reached a point of just disobedience in itself. When they ask, not when they whine. An example of that is, and it happens all through the summer, kids are playing, they're hot, they suddenly realize they're thirsty, and they go, I'm thirsty! And I remember just going, oh really? Well, when you ask for something, you might get it. And then you know, taught him, and you say, may I please have some water? Or, a, or Kool-Aid, even. Coke. But, and yeah. so when they ask for Kool-Aid, and don't whine for Kool-Aid, don't just give them water. Don't give them a stone. Understand what they want. What did they ask for? Well, I'll give you something. It'll be loosely similar to what... Yeah, it'll be, you know, probably the Walgreens version of the Nike shoe you wanted. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to like going to school in that. Thanks, folks. Uh, yeah, I'm shod, but I'm not... Um, you weren't nice to me. Um, so parents have to realize that, that you're actually in a... This is... A, Remember, the physical affection is enjoyed, the pleasure of it is, and, and all these good gifts are enjoyed for what they are. You giving, you enjoying it, them getting and enjoying it. Remember we said yesterday, the pleasure ought to be enjoyed and the pain ought to hurt? Remember their opinion, what they asked for, unless you've got some kind of clear reason that communicates that you're not just out there to always, if you're not going to say no, you're going to only say, well, only partial. And if you applied that kind of ratio to something else, can we stay up late tonight? Okay, five minutes. Oh, you're a lot of fun. You're the soul of grace. So, learning to say yes, finding the yeses, find, saying, okay, am I, am I, am I building those... Uh, positive times up. How many, when you say, do you read to your children? This is, and this is all, it may be different in your home because men and women are different. But you're also going to want to think, each one of you, as to whether or not husbands especially are you 
letting mom be all the affection, all the reading, all the cozy time, all the putting to bed, all the uh, goofing off, whatever. Or it can be reverse, but they're going to get a relationship with both of you, not by, they won't have a relationship with both of you by a representative of you. If one of you is representing the parents, it's actually going to be mom or dad who they like and enjoy and want in their life if the other person is not conscientious about their own degree of affection. Uh, I thought back, you know, I, could, I don't remember a whole lot in my life, and, uh, but I remember vividly sitting with my father in church. I can remember the smell of his hands. I, I played constantly with his hands in church, taking off his Naval Academy class ring and putting it back on again. And that's what I remember of College Avenue Baptist Church and hating VBS. <laughs> As it should be hated. Um, and, and so realize that these things are as little, as small as just sitting next to dad in a situation, being read to. Um, you all know what they are, but sometimes we, we think because we know what they are, knowing about it is having done it. And you really want to do some kind of inventory. Um, the other side of that is saying yes when you ought to say no. And this is something we've seen um, in some families, a number of families where affection was learned but not what we covered yesterday about they're here to get aligned with your life not you to align with theirs. They're fools, they're stupid, they're immature, they should not be deciding when hugs happen. Because they're wicked, they're up to no good, they're seeking as new selves, that's not a, they're seeking finding out where they're going to get the leverage on you. And we had a, 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 a people that we knew pretty closely uh, whose kids every minute or two would come up and ask to be hugged or held. And mother couldn't literally get anything done because she had a philosophy, you never refuse a child's request for affection. She was wrong because the little punk had realized they weren't in any kind of need for the hug. It wasn't like, oh, I'm crying again, I need a hug. I just want to stop her from doing what she's doing. I just want to walk in at my will and get picked up, hugged, and put down. Or be read to. Read me a book. Okay, stop doing the cooking dinner. Off to the kitchen. Leslie. It's so, it's so good for them to be read to. So. Yeah, they, 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 their English skills go way through the roof if you do that. But not with Leslie. <laughs> Leslie. That was one of my things I specifically remember with Davis. Um, he loved being read to and there were times when I'd be working on dinner or something might have even been earlier in the day doing some prep um, but he would come in and say mother would you read me a book and I would say when I'm done with this I will read you a book and then, then you have to make sure that if you say when I'm done with this that you don't then neglect to do it that you follow through with what you 
said to them. But they learn in that that their deferred gratification is at your will because you're in charge. If they know they can just make a request and if it's always polite, you'll do it. They know the magic now. They know uh, that you're a sucker. And uh, so they learn an awful lot. And you want to make sure that in the denial, when you say no, if it's kindly done or demanded or whatever else, you don't, you know, if, you say, if they come in and say, read me a book. You say, can you ask nicely? Would you please read me a book? No. <laughs> when I'm done, if you still want to read a book, we'll do it when I'm done. If you're not involved with something else. So uh, you, 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 you always pay up and you make sure that the affectionate time, the good that they get when you decided to give it is high quality. It's not you just fitting them in hedged in by, okay, let's go read a quick book, something with just four pages. Um, you're not trying to, it's not a philosophy of putting them off, it's a philosophy of putting them in their place. And their place ought to be protected, loved, enjoyed by them, and uh, uh, you've got to be wary of their, again, we talked about this on the porch after last night, their whole self-development is answering the question who's in charge here and they want to know how much of life they're in charge of they're always going to be negotiating very very sophisticated plots against your uh, leadership in the home now some unreasonable parents will uh, and I don't know if you feel this at all when you sense that your children have gotten angry with you in any way. In other words, you may have disciplined them or told them no about something, and so they've got, they're in a funk, or they're moping, or they're actually just a little bit stomping around the house, and do you go try to uh, be affectionate to them? Because, but you're, but you're supposed to be expressing your love with affection, not purchasing theirs. You're not, you're, 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 they're getting who you are. You're not trying to uh, undo uh, with happy, happy times. You know, let's go to Walmart and buy you a toy. Let's, let's go get an ice cream. Let's go spend some time together. Let's go to the movies. Parents who are irresponsible are not measuring their affection as an expression of the love they have and the love they're building and the tasks they're about they are just as manipulative, or trying to be just as manipulative as the kid. They're usually not as good as the kid at it. <laughs> the kid's much better, generally. Now, one other thing that comes up, and just warn you about, is sentimentalism. Um, we have a thing, ah, sentimentalism. Are you writing some narrative unrelated to your actual family? Uh, the sentimental mom I don't know many sentimental men. There's some stupid men. There are some rat bastards. Got to use that again. But uh, moms can be loopy. Um, they get loopier with age. Uh, the frontal lobotomy has helped a lot, has it not? <laughs> but, but the sentimentalism, when, when it's not enjoyed by the kid, and it, 
and, and if you see it, it doesn't seem to have any real relationship to the actual family in front of you. They, they don't want it. It's not part of their life. It seems to be playing to some kind of narrative of the Victorian age or um, what Norman Rockwell painted in a painting. If only our Thanksgiving could look just like that painting of Thanksgiving with the turkey, golden brown, and everybody happy, or saying grace in the train station with your, with your son and other people looking at it um, <laughs> because you're religious. Those are just, some women are, are writing some, just like the fear women the, that are having these narratives of what's going to happen. Others are trying to live in a Thomas Kincaid painting and uh, they should be uh, probably taken out behind the barn and beaten with an axe. <laughs> See, you didn't need a guest speaker for this. I can cover this. Uh, Leslie had a brother of a boyfriend. Was it the brother of a yeah. boyfriend? Mm -hmm. Who said this line, I, I don't have it, uh, it's just in quotes, public displays of affection cheapen the relationship and embarrass others. The whole PDA thing. Um, so it's a, uh, um, this idea of, of having affections as any affection is not good affection. Just because um, you're a mom or you're a dad does not mean that at all times your kid wants you to put their, your arm around them or hold hands with them in the mall. Okay? Be very aware. I used to, well this is more because of Doug, I used to try to distance myself from our family as much as I could in any public outing. Because Doug believed the best thing to do is to humiliate the family in every public outing. And uh, I would try to walk off about 10 feet away and no one could tell. Um, he, he, I mean, he was not actually retarded. He just acted. Um, we are going to send Doug a copy of this. Right? What's that? What an example. Oh, remember the shopping center at Brits, Brits, Brits Shopping Mall out near Glen Burnie, Maryland. And the family would go out shoe shopping or something. And Doug would dance like a ballerina down the mall. And that's like junior high. And, and I was just mortified. I was just, um, my, mother, my mother, God bless her, was, was that dour British Queen Elizabeth II kind of we are not amused kind of um, affection. There was, you know, uh, she hired her groom to give me affection. That was... No, she was, she was very nice, but she was not a, a clingy or sentimental woman. And, uh, but those sorts, I, I use that as an illustration of a public display that sometimes kids have measures about it, just like they have measures about what they want from you and they don't want to be given something else. Um, uh, we have a good example of that, where that had to happen. Our son was given uh, um, a jacket uh, a Nike we or Adidas. We gave it to him. Nike. We get a Nike jacket, and uh, because Nike was really cool, it's really hot right now, and uh, he proceeded to leave it somewhere and lost it. 
we're in the ministry, we can't afford the first Nike jacket. <laughs> we then had to go get him another winter jacket at Lamont's. <laughs> Lamont's is a department store before your time. And, and, uh, or Ross, is Ross. And, uh, all we could afford to get was a store brand, almost the same kind of look, but no Nike swoosh anywhere on it. He was devastated, just crushed. But there was a situation where, I'm sorry, Davis, you lost the first jacket. This doesn't happen twice in a row. Um, and I think in some cases, you don't have to always give them precisely what they want. But when you can, you do. And when, you, and when there's an oughtness to it, when there's an oughtness not to, because of some activity of their own, they lit it on fire or they... Uh, <laughs> You, 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 you don't pony up with the next one as if nothing happened. Um, one of the things that you have to be uh, very conscious of, uh, you know, uh, sentimentalism is something women will do. And even if they're not sentimentalists, they can, because of maternal urges, they love to bear babies. They love to talk about babies being born. They love to compare war stories of how many episiotomies they've had, how many centimeters they pushed through, how many hours they went through it, and whether or not they had drugs, or whether there was a <laughs> spinal block, or whether or not they used Lamaze, or what the other one was, Bradley. Bradley. Um, you know, they, uh, how nasty they got to their husband in the room. And, uh, they're about babies. And, and consequently, the baby shows up and it's everything they desired. You know, it's a baby. And it nurses. And it poops. And this is just a warning. Your kid is not more important than your husband. Okay? You swore vows before God to your husband. To love, honor, cherish, and obey, sickness and in health, kid and no kid. I don't think that's in the vows, but kids or no kids. And you can't go back on your vow because you just cranked out as a 3D printer this kid out of your loins. Waited nine months and there it was. You didn't vow anything, it's an accident of history and sex and... <laughs> And, uh, and you just like to play with babies. And so all day long, you're playing dress up with the baby and you know, changing it in and out of whatever onesies you have as a collection. And you're too tired to screw your husband at the end. Okay? Now, you don't get the option. Because the child needs to know, not about that in those terms, but. Evan, you really should be standing up. I'm it's old, I'm tired. Stand up comedy. <laughs> well, it's actually uh, hopefully wisdom. <laughs> but no, you, you know this is true, women, and don't you know you do it. It's your little game you play and you have you even have idiot clothes you dress them up in that they will never choose in their life, ever. No human being ever wears that stuff, 
and while they're in your control, the clown suit is exactly what you want to have them in. Now let's take them to Sears so they get their picture taken. And the women go through all this heartache and the, the stress of Sears and, and three kids sitting there sweating and crying and getting their picture taken. You have a husband and he is a higher affection. He has a claim to your affection. He pays for you and your brat's very existence. He pays the doctor bill. Now, you have to remember that so that it controls your affections, just like your responsibility at the stove and you're making dinner and little Johnny walks up and says, read me a book and you say, when I'm done, I would be happy to do that. But when I'm done, you need to wait. It'll be about a half an hour. Your husband is a bigger responsibility than dinner. And you don't use kids. And believe me, just like the kids can watch parents and find out if they're weakly responsive to demands for affection, they also know if they can split mom and dad. Both in terms of who they ask, who they can get attention from. And... Uh, uh, you, you, it can cause all sorts of chaos by you not having placed things in the right position. When you pay out affection, like before, like when you pay it, when you had to put it off, let it be of high quality. So they never feel that they're gypped. They're just placed correctly. The delay, the placement teaches them their place, and they need to know that. Um, <coughs> now the other did I have a quote on that? I don't think I did oh it's, this sort of applies parents love your children love each other more love your God most okay, that's you could maybe stack it the other way if you wanted to have God at the top but he's at the top because he's most <coughs> but you, you, you're, you're there to love your children but you have a higher claim. Your husband has a higher claim to your energies, to your physical affection, um, to the performance of things that you do during the day. You're not there to obey your children. That's why you want to discipline them. You've got a responsible duty to your husband. And if your kids start getting in the way and screwing your life up, you're not, you're not in charge. You're not rearing a child correctly. They might never see what goes on or, or, the, or the years that countless people have written into magazines about how their sex life went to nothing when the kids were born. Don't let it happen. On the last one, love your God most. This is one where <coughs> Jesus Christ is clear. Too clear. Matthew 10 he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Got it? Oh, let's ratchet it up a little bit. Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Well, now what? Well, that means, when I go back to day one, and the religion I have, the truth of it, the, 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 how 
permeating your kids see in your life, in your home, when you strip everything away, your Christianity is not actually there, just actually there, that you think of it and your God more than you think of them. So what you're expressing to the child in affection, that's why those other categories exist. You're in charge of them, you're an adult, and you're a Christian. And Christians have this delineation of placement. These are the ordinate values. You have to, I, I've looked at this, you say, well, what about that hatred passage? I'm a little confused. Um, okay. We always look at the hatreds that are sort of the malicious hatreds. God talks about hating the evildoer. Um, David talks about, do I not hate them with a righteous hatred? <coughs> he said, well, isn't that murder? Didn't Jesus say that if you hate your brother, you know, and here's David talking about his righteous hatred. Just like, I was thinking about it because I was thinking about love as being the, the, way, the direction we turn. When we love something, we turn toward it. When we love God, we turn toward him. When we love our wives, we turn toward them. When we love our children, we turn toward them. When we hate something, we turn away. It's turning your back on something, someone. That might be a little vague, but that's the way I've, I've been. Um, uh, uh, it, it has, it does not have, <coughs> when I turn to something in love, it has a claim on me. My own life doesn't even have a claim on me compared <coughs> to Christ. Even my own life. You cannot be my, the disciple of the Lord. So I have to have, in that sense, myself turned toward Christ and turned away from these other things. That they cannot claim my attention when God does. And the same is true with husbands. And you need to, you need to be kind of big kids with your big panties on um, when your husband's trying to do something for you or the, that the things of, the, of your growth spiritually are not moved to the background because we counseled a woman this morning whose whole Christian life had been absolutely destroyed. She'd never even spoken of the gospel to her children, and they were 20. And it was a Christian home. Because everything was, you know, it was mixed up for all sorts of other reasons. But, but you don't get to have noble family value reasons that you're going to live for. Family values is not as important as you being a Christian. Your children are not as important to you as your spouse. But they are important to you. They just need to know. You need to know their place. They need to know their place. Uh, this great passage out of Proverbs 4. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he's a loved child here, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Get wisdom, get insight. Basically what I was looking at is it is a high affection to have parents who have higher loves letting their joy, those joys trickle down to you. It's a, when, when you have a mother and father who venerate Christ most of all, and then their relationship together is solid, complete, rejoiced in, enjoyed. And then they look at their kids and all that joy, that affection they have up there, 
is, is just dumps on the kids. And it's a high affection, not a chiseled out of my parents or just worldly or just pagan affection that pagan people have for their kids. Even we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children. We who are righteous know how to put it in its right place. Because it becomes a higher thing. I think a more valuable thing. Well. Are there slides in here? No. I just made them today. Right before dinner. In a hurry. So excuse any typos. They came out of some of the things we discussed as we were preparing. Yeah, so, uh, some of them are, are just that quotes I thought of, trying to sum up some aspect here. Some of it are out of the book, but not all. Um, the children get to witness your wisdom in God, your wisdom in your spouse. They get to witness their placement in it. And um, you are uh, going to let God be God of your household, or you're going to be God of your household. And that I've said it before that if you're ignorant and stupid, they're going to learn ignorant and stupid. You're either going to notice you and reject you, or they're not going to notice and be sent out into the world just like you. Now, about affection, the children, you want to ask yourself not just how much inventory, but do an honest measure. Do your kids like being with you? I do know some Christian parents, the kids do not. Now, even as adults, don't want to be near their their parents. And their parents are Christians. And you, you kind of want to know that stuff so that you can fix what's wrong. Fix it. It's either going to be something like you're not giving them much or you're giving them too much sentimentalism or too much of what they don't want or um, there's just all sorts of things that could go wrong. But if you don't think they're laughing with you, kids, you ever see that video with those four, the quadruplets laughing? Are they quints or quadruplets? They're, yeah, they're just dying. You know, they're probably just a few months old. Just their father's making them crack up, and they're cracking up. Um, but kids laugh with you and enjoy sitting comfortably with you. That if next to you, on your lap, next to you on the couch, is their best place in the world, not something you have to kind of make them do. Come here. Sit here. I don't want to. Look at that. Seriously. Do they not enjoy you? The time with you. In the home especially, where greater intimacy is allowed, the public displays of affection, you want to watch out for that uh, in that, uh, uh, do I have a, uh, oh yeah, PDAs. Are you trying to prove something to the public, not to your child? Too often the, there's a public affection that isn't as real at, as at home, yeah? There should be a question mark at the end of that, right? Yes, there okay. should be. I, I've misread that because because a punctuation is important. But again, I was in a big hurry because dinner was early. Which I, I have to stop. I have to stop. My wife, God bless her, just a miracle worker. We have this seminar all week in the house. So all dinners are going to be a half an hour early, God willing. My father comes over for dinner on Thursday. She had to go to the grocery store. I was down maniacally putting these together on the computer. 
and so she comes home at what time? Five ten. Five ten. Five ten. Tammy's helpful. I set the table. But she had picked up my dad, brought home the groceries, got the dinner on the table, made dinner for Will and Carolyn Connect, sent that over to their house, and then jumped up from dinner and made cookies for you guys afterwards. <laughs> and, and peppercorn sauce because Tammy demanded it. Sweetly. I'm sure I, it was sweet. I did have people helping. I but was I, able to boss people around. <laughs> just saying. Remarkable. She's getting old, but... <laughs> there, is, um, there are limits in public. You should have the joy of very close physical contact with your kids, everything from wrestling but which you wouldn't do in public. Or real close affection that you wouldn't do in public. Your kids might know better than you what the line is because they're measuring their cool for which they love at home but they don't want you just because you and you have to say if I'm insisting on it is it something that I'm trying to prove something out there to the public and not to my kid. You're, it's for your kid. It's, it's your, your enjoyment of your kid sometimes has to be restrained so that you don't um, humiliate them or annoy them. Uh, sometimes kids will protest as if they don't want the affection, but they want it. And you have to develop wisdom as to when or not, when, whether or not. We had this, I, I don't know if I mentioned him, I don't think I did. Eric Madsen uh, used to be an autistic kid in this town that was always downtown and rocking on the street corners and he smelled the high heaven and he would just just greasy and smelly and really 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 obnoxious and he'd come into the bookstore all the time and he had this barking voice really really smart guy and my dad would just grab him and hug him and wouldn't let him go and he would fight. And he loved it. I mean, he really did. Smiled. And smiled. And, 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 but, but sometimes kids, I mean, not, your kid's not autistic, but, you know, if, if your kid resists it, don't go, uh, okay, okay, no more affection. Sometimes as they start to feel their identity come on or they think they're too big for this, they or they they don't they, they want to check to see whether or not you really mean it. They may put up a little bit of a, a defensiveness and then and you you just have to have the wisdom to know when to push it and get them into a full Nelson and uh, and make it happen. But there's a difference. Sometimes you need to understand they don't want it and, and it and it's honoring them not to give it. Um, consider how you Hold your kids. This is something small, but it's something I learned with babies, four of them. Um, there is a cavalier way of carrying your children, and that's the way you should do it. Okay? <laughs> they should be like luggage, not some precious jewel. Okay? Oshkosh bagosh are the best because it's like a luggage handle on the back. <laughs> and they love it. They, they love being carried around like a 
like a satchel. And, or it's the football carry, or various carries. But say, realize that, they, that your attitude about carrying them, if it's always, you know, moms can do a little bit more of the tender, you know, protect everything. Hold the head up. <laughs> Don't push the soft spot. And, uh, but, but realize that the small things of the way you interact with your sons, the way you interact with your daughters, you're communicating things in all those um, all those moments. Um, why do you wrestle with your sons? My daughter never wanted to wrestle. She never understood the wrestling. It just didn't, it didn't what? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to jump in? The boy's just full length, <laughs> you know, out into the, uh, into the scrum. And but, but that, that difference shapes boys and it, and it shapes girls differently. So you have to take those things into consideration. Um, and don't create or keep an infantile tenderness. Leslie was very clear about this to me this afternoon. She can't stand when women say of their grown children, oh, he's my baby. Like he's the youngest kid. Oh, that's my baby. And because some people are living in a world where they don't love their actual family. They love some fondness for babies. And I know women who keep having babies because they are fond of babies, not fond of their family. They don't want to grow up with their family. They don't want to learn to love people at the ordinate value of a 14-year-old. They just want another baby. And uh, there is a a, a need, it's something we've recommended to people about birth control. I don't know what your position is about birth control, but um, one nice thing that we, we, Larry Lucas uh, shared with us, and uh, we enjoyed also the same thing, that if the wife's always cranking out a child, the wife is perpetually in the nursery. And the husband gets to grow up with the older kids. But the wife never gets to. She's always in the nursery always taking care of the last three. And uh, it was very nice that once, you know, Gunn was born, our life went <laughs> up from there, and now it's great. 22 to 31, we've got uh, great adult fellowship. But that's our, that's our actual family. Six adults, you know, and, and that's what you want to be affectionate toward, not some vision of something else you want, just like the sentimentalist, you don't want to have some false, fake narrative of something you're writing. You don't want to have some fake affection about something that's not there anymore. And in every situation, you're an adult in every stage of the business. They might not be, but you are. Now, we're looking now at sarcasm, because, as you probably can tell, I use it. And I used it with my kids. We've mentioned that earlier. And uh, sarcasm, that doesn't, that's not the right, I'm missing a slide. This was, comes from rushing. Oh well. Did it not get on the wall? Probably. No. It was it. That's the last one there. Don't read it. Don't read it. Oops. 
this this uh, plays a little bit to it, but don't uh, right now. I want to talk about sarcasm. Um, the word sarcasm means tearing the flesh. Just trying to be honest. S uh, flesh, sarks. Um, and uh, sarcasm, you know, has a vicious potential tearing people apart. But it's a great tool in a family under certain conditions where as an expression of superior control with joy and humor okay and love and there are arenas that you know, like I've mentioned about my dad calling my sister double ugly she loved it <coughs> and she was double ugly but you know there was the honesty part now she wasn't double ugly and she knew she wasn't double ugly and we called Michael fat baby <laughs> and I mentioned the boys, the idiots. Why don't we call Davis anything? King of the Dorks. King of the Dorks. <laughs> and you know Davis. He is, right? <laughs> and they all loved it. And, at, you know, at certain points when they're certainly, their nerves are exposed about their reputation right around 14, you gotta, you got to watch. You know, because at that moment, being fat baby might not be um, <laughs> what you want to hear out of your mother's mouth uh, in front of your friends or a guy you like. Um, so you know that, and, it, and this is what try, I try to define an aspect of this, a joy of communion between the high and the low when it's jointly acknowledged. What happens is I know people who use sarcasm in families. Well, let me get to the, what happens here where it's a wonderful expression of affection, but it is not fruitful if your child is stupid. In other words, they don't get it. They don't get the negative. They don't know why you're saying it. They don't know how to put those words together. They, what, did he, what did he mean? What did he mean, rock? They probably ran out of rocks. What? Huh? I don't... Did he get tired of rocking them? Is that the running out of rocks? I mean, they don't even, you know, and I'm sorry you have a dumb kid. But it's not going to do you any good with a dumb kid. I know a, a family that has a very intelligent child who does not get any of it. No, both parents are pretty sarcastic, witty people, funny people. Does not get it. And you just got to give it up because you're explaining the joke all the time. Ah. Why did you say it that way? <laughs> so that one you just set aside just out of, of, of is not successful. Um, second, they don't believe in the ground and context of your love. Could be because it's not there. Could be because you're just excusing sarcasm because Evan uses it. And you're just being mean. You're tearing people down. Because a kid knows when you enjoy them, when they are having a, that, that, that your communion with them is calling them every bit of retarded you can, 
but you, they know because of your very presence in the moment and your enjoyment of the moment and, and your love for them that you've communicated very clearly with a lot of affection that it's a credit to you that this high and lifted up agent is commenting on how, what a tard you are and that communion of high and low where both is acknowledged, yeah, we are tards. The boys would go around and go, we are idiots. <laughs> Ta-da! They wanted to have, you know, um, you know, anybody who received our Christmas letters, annual abuse of the family. Okay? And they loved them. They loved reading them. They loved showing them to people. If you want to see the collection, we have them in an album. How many of you already get them? Yeah, Some yeah, of them already get them. And, and, and people... Not just our kids who, who like having them. And our kids all, we had those albums created for all of our kids, so they all had the collection because they all like going back and reading the insults I would heap on them. <laughs> and it was every avenue you could think of. You could think of. I could think of. I haven't thought, you know, I'm, I'm getting on, so I don't know if I can think of any more, but um, they, they loved it. And, and people who received the letters, I, was there ever anybody who had. How could you talk to your kids that way? Was there anybody so. like that that I don't think so. people who didn't understand it? Maybe they didn't. They just asked to be dropped off the mailing list. <laughs> but if people did get accidentally not get one one year, there were complaints coming in. People love. We understand that humor when we're sort of not involved and we watch it happening in a Woodhouse novel or something like that. Um, you know, witty repartee and the like, and everybody's laughing. <laughs> and uh, so you have to. You have to realize that if they're not getting it dumb, perhaps, or they're just hurt because you did not check to be sure that you've got the skills and the love communicated so that they feel absolutely secure. You don't want to sacrifice some kid that's not secure in you to that kind of treatment. And the last category of people you probably shouldn't use it on are the kids that are maybe a little too far gone and uh, they're just looking for a ground of offense. And they know they can pretend that you shouldn't have said that to me. They know it was a joke. They know you love them. They're pretending you don't. And so they can build something out of it. But that's usually somebody who's, who's been allowed to get to a certain place um, there is that proverb, I didn't look it up, so I don't know what the reference is, but um, the people who use the sarcasm without the love is like someone who calls somebody a name, a fool, and then says, I was only kidding. I'm sorry. If you have to say, just kidding. Somebody used to say that around the house a lot. Who was it? I can't remember. Recently. Um, was it Rachel? Yeah, it's funny. I think it was me too. Yeah, it was, it was you too. Just kidding. Too. Just kidding. They, 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 they knew that the pattern around here was abuse. <laughs> and, and so they were learning how to, but they really weren't confident. So at the end of every sentence, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I think I brought the verse up to you at one point. You shouldn't have to say, if you're good at this, you shouldn't have to say, just kidding. That's like a social thing, though. It's kind of like not or whatever for the 90s. Not, yeah. It's yeah, like young people. I never. JK. Yeah. <laughs> I figure good humor doesn't need to be, you don't need to tell someone's a joke afterwards. So I have a little, a little section here on why kids like me. 
Um, and it really, I, you know, I don't need to read it, um, but it is the same idea. Like I said to you, I, I, they're beneath me, and uh, they like me. And I, my, I, I, I studied it years ago to try to figure out what's going on, and why do dogs like me, and why do kids like me, and um, and I, and I, my conclusion was, they actually know their position, and when they meet someone who loves them, who knows their position, and then communes with them, you know, the condescends to spend time associate with the lowly, and they they finally are not being catered to by some youth leader. They they actually know they're tards, and uh, they'd like to some, have somebody actually know they are, and still want to be with them. Not because they're entertained by the youth, not because they enjoy the wisdom coming out of the three-year-old's mouth, but because it's worth doing. You know, you have you have you have a love for them that has nothing to do with them being adequate, and uh, they appreciate it. That's what I think I was meaning by this. When it's jointly acknowledged, when you and the kid jointly acknowledge they're low, you're high, but there's a communion there. And in that communion, there's joy because that joint acknowledgement, however you express it, if you're not good at sarcasm, I just recommend it because it, it, it's been very successful for us. Um, but it also has its limits. But realize that, that um, uh, comedy sometimes can carry, rather than this being, this just sounds like some sacrament. The joy of communion between the high and the low, jointly acknowledged. It's when the homeless come to your church and you meet them in the aisle and hold their hand. And okay, we're not we're not there, but it's gonna be harder communi- to communicate without humor. Okay, harder to communicate without humor. But you you could give it a try. Um, favoritism. Do you like one of your my kids always ask me. Which one do you like best? I said Michael. Or pick someone else. It's Davis. Davis. He's got the most money. <laughs> kind of like... Uh, what you do with your nieces. Oh, yeah. With my nieces, whenever I see them, Gordon's daughters, I, said, I, I, I tell them they're my favorite niece. And then when... Uh, to have Heather Wilson... And then Mallory will walk up and I'll greet her as my favorite niece in the hearing of the other one. <laughs> and so they know I'm absolutely insincere <laughs> about giving them status of favorite. And uh, so I just keep doing it. But, um, and they both like it, that I'm lying to them and that I'm insincere. And they can't take that to the bank. But what do they take to the bank? What they take is the attention, okay? It's an attentiveness to, so even when, if compliments, I wrote a short story about this, when compliments are insincere, but the guy giving them wants you to hear it as insincere, and you, even though you accept it as insincere, um, you walk up to a blue-haired woman at a church social, and you say, you look lovely today, Mrs. Edna, Miss Edna. And she knows she doesn't. And you know she doesn't. Don't, she, she doesn't, yes. And, uh, but she takes it to the bank anyway, because you've attended to her. 
It's the, it's the time and the attention. Um, I, I called it uh, being a, um, a social Cartesian. I believe they are, therefore they are. Give them something to make their existence on. But with favoritism, we got off the track here, with favoritism, we have these, you know, Jacob loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. In Genesis 37, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. It doesn't work out well even for biblical patriarchs. You can see what's going on though. You see Esau because he got the, the talents of Esau played to a man's interest. He had barbecue. He had food coming back from this rugged man, his oldest son. Um, and that poofter, Jacob, um, just hanging around mom all the time and you know, what is it, my brother Esau, he is a hairy man, but I am a smooth man. Um, that, that just says it all. Why would any man want to hang out with Jacob? Probably good with the ladies, but... Uh, probably played soccer. Probably played soccer. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but it's out now. <laughs> now, you can see the problems from visible favoritism. How do you keep it from happening? Sometimes you got a really smart kid. Davis was the National Merit Scholar. Then there's the idiots. David is making, Davis is making, what's his name again? Um, <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. Now, you see achievements, you see similarities, guns very similar in personal habits to me. He agrees with everything I say. <laughs> I like him best. <laughs> you know, Graham is the great PR representative of the family. Um, he glad hands everybody. He's in the mix. And you say, well, hey, yeah. well, when you have differences in kids and you feel that agony of, I know I would never say, but. Well, you say, well, it's just, is it right just to never say? Okay, one thing you need to look at You sometimes have an expectation that each kid will be an achiever enough of different kinds that it shouldn't be a problem, but it ends up being one. Your kids don't achieve equally. Um, you start thinking in terms of your own interests. Um, do I have, I have a slide on this? I think I might. A membership protects its parts, but interests will plan to favor the beneficial. Which is your family? Is it an interest where your family's status, advancement, task, existence, what it's up to, is your plan? Then you start looking for the most, the high points. You represent and brag about the high points. You're an interest. But in a membership, like a body, I don't care what part of the body it is, if you hit it with a hammer, the whole body cares. 
and the teaching in Corinthians those parts of the body which we think less honorable we invest with greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body giving the greater honor to the inferior part if you're a membership of a family just the philosophy alone of what your family is up to what its task in the world is to function as membership especially through affection which creates the membership or bonds the membership or uh, uh, those things begin to matter to you first off if a kid is unfavored because of a lot of weaknesses in their life what lack of discipline or help or benefit had you fallen down on? Do you need to confess something that you need to take care of because you did not bring them along adequately? But if, through some circumstance, there is this divergence of kind, they are members of you, and each member feels the pain of the other members. They rejoice together, they suffer together, and if it's a different kind of association, you might not say, an interest, it may be a group or a movement, whatever you're thinking the family is, what favoritism, merit, rising to the top, works in other situations. It works in a business situation. You don't, you don't favor inadequate labor in business because your task is not the membership of a family. It's profit. But is profit the measure of your family is membership the the growth of the whole thing the bonding of it together as best it can through discipline through affection through Christ through position uh, just thinking of it differently will will control that if you find that there is a difference um, you've got something you can do you can turn your interests to the protection of the part that needs the greater, the inferior, it says the inferior part. There are inferior members of a family by whatever measure you want to use. Now what are you going to do? Well, your heart's going to be directed by how you view the institution. Do you have something? Okay, so let's talk about it. Dr. Laura said once. Okay. <clears throat> And I brought this up. Yes, I brought this up. Because we've run into it. Not run, well, we've run into actual incest. But one of the things that stands in the way of affection being fully beneficial or enjoyed are the possibilities or the fears of incest. I know some great, dear Christian friends whose the father pulled away from being affectionate to his daughters as they hit their maturing years because he didn't want to be tempted. And you go, what? And you could, you know, you see something for some people, just, I can imagine. In the Bible, you have that situation with Joe, Joe um, what's his name? Lot, with his daughters. And they forced the incest on him, got him drunk. But there it is, you know, the fathers of the Ammonites and the Moabites through those unions. Um, 
And you, you, you're kind of, there's the ick factor, you don't want to, oh, I don't want to, I don't know if you'd like reading Oedipus, Tyrannus, because it's just ugly, you know. You feel like Oedipus feels at the end when he finds out, it's his mom! And he stabs his eyes out with the hairpins or something like that. And wanders the earth blind and uh, miserable. Well, even accidental incest is like that, where it wasn't known, um, problematic. We a little get a little weirded out when you hear that someone married their cousin. Yikes, you say. Your cousin. Well, some states you can marry your cousin. First cousin. Abraham married his sister. Okay? And you go, the patriarch? It happens. Now, those are situations where, you know, marrying your cousin, marrying your sister if you're Abraham, are not problems. But what I wanted to point out to you is the need, the need of your daughter's affection, men, at those ages is crucial. Because they really, their, their self needs to be defined as a very secure, protected, unthreatened sexually moment so that they don't go looking for hugs from other men who don't face the problem of incest with them. And women start passing themselves around to get what, not the sex they didn't get from dad, but just the affection. Just a man caring. So, well, but, you know, what about the temptation? Well, the temptation for Lot, you know, if you wanted to pull anything out of the text, I noticed that his wife had been turned to a pillar of salt. <laughs> he was drunk, and the girls had excuses. If we don't get pregnant somehow by somebody, you know, we're not going to have any descendants. So this was, you know, they had some practical, you know, okay, we're going to, what else can we do? You know? <laughs> so, this goes back, and, and when a man has a hard time with any other women, the answer the scripture gives as each man have his own wife and each woman her own husband because of the temptation to immorality and you give each other your conjugal rights and you never refuse them except for a time for fasting and prayer but even then no matter how spiritual the fasting and prayer is you don't let that go nonsense go on for too long because you got to get back in the sack because of the temptation to immorality and I don't care if it's the secretary at work, the cheerleader down on the field, or your daughter. Temptation, the absence of the wife. The girls were, because of the absence of their husbands, they were engaged to be married. Those guys went up in smoke. And, and, and he didn't have his wife anymore. Now, I'm not saying that that's what's actually happened. He didn't have his wife, so he was susceptible. It's mostly he was drunk and he didn't know what was happening. But... You want to, if, if, just for a mnemonic device, the presence, if you want to be protected against any kind of temptation so that your affection for your daughters is always pure, constant, and enjoyed by you and your daughter, 
Um, it's representative of family, not representative of a man and a woman. Your relationship with your wife had better be sizzling, taking care of business. Now, you also got to watch that you're not um, a kind of person who is incoherent. A person who does not measure his world correctly, accurately, realistically, who's essentially drunk, does not have his defenses up even if he is sated because satiation is not, we're not Freudian pressure cookers. Okay, we're not just, well as long as you're getting something, something, you won't be tempted. That just makes you want more something, something. So, you have to be a reasonable coherent person where because it's the drunkenness that features Lot in a situation where she did he did not know where they were with him and when they got up to go. He was completely um, snockered. You don't want to be that kind of person. So a, a, a clear head and a solid marriage. Then you don't even the third thing, their excuses they were making, those just come when you're trying to justify. And I know a guy in prison right now whose um, circumstance was pretty much that. He went to prison for molesting his daughter. His wife was a biatch, and they didn't have a good relationship, and he turned to his daughter, and he was not a coherent man. I mean, he was not, he wasn't stable in his thinking or at, at all got turned in, got caught. I think he's supposed to get out of prison pretty soon. Uh, what I think, 12 years? I think I sentenced to 12 years. And uh, Christian, in Christian work. Go figure. Now, it does happen. It's feared by more people than it would happen to, because I think there's most people just the integrity issue is comfortable. Even if they, they, they step away from their daughters because their daughters are just too pretty and too physically hot and the wife's let herself become, you know, a manatee or something. <laughs> um, I apologize to any manatees. I'm only Stephanie. It's a sea cow. A sea cow. Only because you're pregnant. <laughs> It's just that, just that part. I got that part too. <laughs> they, they joked about me that I'm like, you know, the the what are the, the the thieves gave me because of this monarch of the Glen painting up here by Landseer and my Scottish nobility and the monarch and they gave me a little engraving of a sea lion on that ice floe <laughs> and it said Mar monarch of the northern seas. So, what about the other side? Oedipal impulses. Um, if anyone doesn't know the story, of Oedipus Rex. Check it. Yeah, Oedipus, Oedipus uh, was prophesied to murder his father and marry his mother. Everybody tried to avoid the prophecy by squirreling him away to all sorts of different places so he didn't know who he was. He, well, ends he was up supposed to be killed, wasn't he? Exposed on a mountain, a shepherd raised him, and then uh, 
various things happen where he ends up getting angry at this guy driving by and ends up his father, but he kills him. He didn't know it's his father. He goes to the city. The woman is now a widow. She's the queen. She's a little bit older, but hey, he marries her, raises a family, and then it comes out. So, uh, Oedipus Rex is the name of the play, but that's why they call it Oedipal. Um, uh, sexual interest in your mother. Now, one thing, uh, I mean, obviously, if you guys in your ministry, remember your relationship to your spouse is more important than your relationship to your kids and affection. So you've already got the responsibility to make that be, but understanding what you gain from that is not merely, again, siphoning off the pleasure need, because often it's not... Um, uh, it's knowing that your teen boys may struggle with desires merely because anything that walks by with a sway or in a skirt or has, you know, tatas um, is a problem, okay, for them because everything is a problem for them. And you, ca you, you have to be, out of your consciousness of what your husband likes and enjoys, reserving the intimacy of that affection for that relationship so that the membership of spouse is more heated and you know the distinction and that you're not naive you're not the presence of a naivete is not uh, you, you don't understand men if, if you're a woman and you want to be concerned with your sons you just have to be conscious of what men are and it helps you with your other consciousnesses around town, so that you, you, you know you, the, you. So the butcher doesn't like you too much. That uh, get better deals, but <laughs> now the last point um, is the addiction to the affections. What was that about? Oh, that was that. This is the last one. Oh, that, that's the one on, okay, the, the destructive urges, be it Oedipal or otherwise. No weakness in your sex life, no drunkenness of mind, no excuses from one and two. You know, that, that, that when people start making excuses about th their lack of good relationship with the wife, well, they, <coughs> they should be fixing that. They don't get to go, oh, it just is. Well, what do you do to fix it? Uh, what do you do to fix this? You don't create an excuse for any kind of immorality that's destructive uh, from one and two, and no naivete about the nature of the beast. Um, and uh, we're going to cover tomorrow in dealing with older kids and testing the true, uh, how you deal with sexuality in, as it comes up with your kids. Uh, the last point we wanted to make tonight, before the cookies, um, is you can't be addicted to this affection because you know back at the beginning we said you got to have an anthropology you got to have a cosmology you got to know what God is up to with man and that this is the government that ends and the patriarchs don't ever want their culture to end so they don't ever let it end the clingy mother the sentimentalist who never wants to let their babies go doesn't want it to end fathers who can't give their daughters up to marriage don't want to let it go. You have to realize the, the addiction of what you gain isn't allowed to you. You have got to let it go. Give this in the scriptures here 
Um, I gave the situation with Hannah and Samuel, and I loved her quote, therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And she gave him up as a little kid. He was called it uh, daycare at the, at the temple in Shiloh. Um, and so what I was thinking, and I have the same thing down with Luke with Christ at the age of 12 when he ends up in the temple and mom and dad are looking all over for him and their moms and dads and moms, you know, my son's in the big city and uh, 12 years old, what are you going to do? And he's kind of odd <laughs> that people will pick on him and stuff. Well, they find him debating with the rabbis and he's about his father's business. At 12, there are higher callings than you. And the three that are right on the surface are the Lord. The maturity you gave them. Okay? What was all the effort for? I was teaching them how to work on an engine, have a job, throw a spiral, which I don't think I ever taught them. all the different things and, and understanding the world and getting Bible studies for them and growing in grace and, is to make a maturity that they could step away from you in. They don't need that if they're never leaving. Those are the people, that the daughters that you don't want to leave. Some little airhead that never got things quite figured out. You don't want to send her off to Seattle to get a job because she's an airhead. She doesn't have the maturity you get. You need to work a little bit more or only let her move to potlatch. <laughs> but if you're successful, the maturity you gave is a higher calling than you. You admitted that by the years you gave to creating it. It was enough to give you independent standing. So it's enough to give them independent standing. And lastly, giving them to their spouse. And you hear all the stories about mothers-in-law and, and loving their sons and, and don't want the, the, the competing with their daughters-in-law. And, but it's a new and greater affection. This, the marriages of their kids, of your kids, is a closer affection than mom and kid. Marriage is higher than parent and child, wherever the marriage happens. And it has a claim to... We know that a, a woman who marries... She doesn't have to obey her dad anymore. She has a new Lord. So what it is, in all these, it is the presence of new, a new Lordship uh, and a new obligations, new responsibilities. Your affections, if you have become a bit like a meth head regarding it, and a little bit desperate and a little wanting and can't... Leslie is always going with our private prayer time. Oh, we can't stand mothers who can't stand to have their kids move away. You know, because it's just the sound of an addict. Oh, I could give it up at any time. Um, but I they don't can't. quite sound like that, do I? Yeah, you don't go... <laughs> but you, um, you, you, you do have that, that um, special Leslie noise. Yeah which is a lot cuter than what I was doing. So, in, just in terms of affection, you've got you to know what you're doing. You have to know what it feeds. You have to understand 
the kind of institution it serves, how it's enjoyed, what protects it, um, what's stupid about parts of it, uh, and uh, um, know when to give it up. But uh, we, we didn't, uh, and, and probably don't uh, need to go into any of these other things here um, that I wrote in the margins. Um, well, let's thank God and uh, be about our cookies. Oh, next night, tomorrow night, is the testing the true. We're going to be going over the, the payout. Why do things get really rocky or potentially really rocky in adolescence and where we find out if we did a good job. And uh, uh, Leslie would like to have you plan on sticking around a little bit? Some of you have and felt that freedom. Yeah, but, but if just there, anyone to have some drinks or I'll open some wine and anyone who wants a glass of wine. And I think somebody said they might bring brownies or some or cookies tomorrow. I said I would bring cookies. Cookies. Do you want brownies instead? Whatever you want to make. Okay. I couldn't couldn't remember what we'd said. I was thinking snickerdoodles. Snickerdoodles. I like snickerdoodles. Okay, that's tomorrow night. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, thank you very much for the great joy of loving our kids and uh, being able to express it and knowing it, what good it does. We'd ask that you would bless it all in your son's name. Amen. Amen.